Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall, and for today's episode, my co-hosts Todd Yates and Rohit Malhotra and I discuss breaking news that Haas F1 is making some major changes to their sponsors and potentially their driver lineup for Formula One in 2022. Formula One drivers have voted, and there are some serious changes in the works for 2022 as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. With that in mind, if you're looking for ways to support the Ukrainian people, check out the links in the description for this episode. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. I am with my guys, Todd and Road, to talk to talk some some just crazy, crazy F1. This wasn't even a scheduled recording. This wasn't a scheduled podcast, but we figured that with all that's going on in the world, we should talk about the unmentionable, I guess, let's say. <laughs> yeah, this is a very complicated subject that we're about to broach. And while we know that one of the principal parties, which I don't know if it's a Haas thing or if it's a inherent thing, is kind of viewed at as a laughing stock. And I know one of us in particular feels very strongly about said individual, hopefully in their short tenure with Formula One. But Nikita Mazepin, come on down. You are the next contestant on Formula One Flashpoint. So who wants to use that as a segue to talk about the more serious things before I get silly again? I'll do Go it. For it. It's, it's fine. I'll just, <laughs> okay. I'm Tracy McGrady. I will throw it off the alley-oop <laughs> and I will catch it and I will dunk it. So because Russia is very insecure and that is just my opinion and not that of my co-hosts or any of the companies we work for, they have decided that they want to take out Ukraine. And while this doesn't necessarily impact us from an American perspective, we all have global listeners and we want to make sure first and foremost that everybody in Ukraine and the Eastern European bloc is being safe and if this can even give you a temporary moment of respite that's why we're here but that being said this is the latest in a laundry list of russian infractions that has led to but not limited to them not even being referred to as russia during the olympics and now we are going to see some ramifications in the formula one world because per some sources on formula one twitter which you know is as valid of a source as we can get it was taken to a driver's vote and all but one driver had decided we are not going to run in Russia if given the option. Now, I will let Todd clarify on who he thinks the one person is. And maybe there is a ulterior motive of why Senor Mazepin voted the way that he did. But at the same time, this just doesn't reflect poorly on him because as Todd's going to allude to, there's more controversy anytime that man sets foot in a car or steps in front of a, micro, a microphone. It's going to say microwave for some reason. <laughs> Maybe a microwave. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, when you guys talked about, hey, let's do a quick pod, and I was excited at the chance to dump on why I don't like Mazepin. So, uh, yeah, so as Rohit mentioned, we have this situation going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine, um, and they had some actions in the last couple of days. Uh, the first being that Haas almost immediately decided to remove all of their sponsorship logos from your alkali, uh, whatever they make manure or chemicals or something. Fertilizer. I think it is uh, fertilizer. <clears throat> they decided to remove all of their branding overnight. Um, and then the drivers had a meeting the next day and as you mentioned, all but one decided to vote to cancel the Russian GP, um, which 
is not officially official, but FA the FIA and F1 issued a statement that at this time they can't see how the the Russian Grand Prix can uh, progress. So they left themselves a little wiggle room, but they also immediately started selling tickets to Turkey. So we know generally what's the replacement race is going to be. But uh, and then it's coming out now that we the reason we decided to get together and talk about this is that it could even go further than that. That the Eurokali sponsorship deal might be completely off the table for Haas. There hasn't been any reports Nick, you sent us that video of Gunter Steiner talking about that a little bit this morning. Um, but the early rumors are that Eurokali is no more. And with that, our dear Nikita could be going bye-bye as well. I mean, I'd personally just commend Haas for taking that quick action. And, you know, I know that's... Uh, that's not an easy thing to do when you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars being invested into your, you know, racing company. But to, to, to have that type of integrity to me is super admirable. I hope that, you know, it all kind of comes back around for them, whether that's, you know, new sponsors or, or, you know, just surviving, right? Like the, the sport we've talked about at length, the sport is an expensive you know, it's a rich man's hobby, you know, more than anything. Right. And, um, I think of the teams that are out there, Haas is probably on the very bottom, if not, you know, next to it slightly in terms of like the budget and the overall security in their future in the sport. And I think that's kind of, that's that kind of makes it even more of a of a tough challenge you know like not to say that that you know you that we or them or anybody doesn't know exactly where their line of integrity is but when your business and all the people that work for you depend on that money to pay your employees and and you know all of these things to walk away from a sponsorship like that is really really a, a tough decision no matter what because you have to think about the livelihood of your people as much as you do everything else. So as I said in our text, I don't think that Mazepin will be back in a seat this year. I don't see how that could ever make sense again at this point. Um, and I'm probably less, uh, I, I probably come to that opinion in a less driver specific uh way than todd but it just doesn't make sense to me from a business standpoint for him to be involved you know we've kind of loosely you know suggested that his seat is is largely connected to the investment that comes from your alkali who is, you know is the company's owned by his father right so or primarily owned by his father father um and, you know, listening to, to Gunther Steiner talk about it, I think that, you know, they're, they're pretty clear that they still need to work out the, the legal uh, ramifications from, from pulling the sponsorship. But, you know, you don't want to be the one, you know, the, the one like sore spot in the sport either, right? On a, on a very like, 
you know, grandiose level, that's what they would become the longer they wait to take these actions. And I think that, again, I just say it's, it's admirable that they're taking such quick action. And I think that based on them taking such quick action, they're just going to continue down this path and they'll figure out how to bring in new sponsors. They'll figure out how to bring in, you know, they have a, a pretty solid backup driver in uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. So yeah, that's about all I got. I mean, I think that's what most of us have. And granted, I, I will probably come across as a hypocrite because the team I support, Chelsea FC, is owned by a Russian oligarch who are now being targeted throughout the world because I'm glad that, to your point, Nick, we're all coming together and saying, hey, enough is enough. You can't do this. But at the same time, it's a sport that has always been propped up by shady business practices. Would that be fair to say? <laughs> and it's really, oh. Yeah. No, it is rich energy to propel this whole sport with so much rampant corruption. But at the same time, it is really something that we, for the first time in a long time, have seen Formula One draw a line in the sand and say, hey, this is where we're standing. And as polarizing as this sport, like most sports is, where you will have dissenting opinions and people will be on the opposite side of an argument just because they want to troll the person that's on that opposite side. It is reassuring to see that now. Maybe I am playing devil's advocate. I would love to be a little bit more knowledgeable about why Nikita voted yes. Maybe there's something that we're not seeing. But right now, from a sheer optics perspective, there's nothing he can really say or do that's going to change his opinion in the court of public opinion. It's so his family doesn't get disappeared, like I said that's earlier. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. So I'm going to go on my rant now about why this guy sucks. So I actually... When I heard the news about Haas removing their sponsorship, I immediately felt bad for Haas. Like their timeline has been just rough, right? They went from plucky upstarts to getting two drivers that like to crash into each other to kind of getting past that to getting new sponsorship to getting two young drivers that like to crash into each other. And um, this whole thing feels a little bit like they're kind of getting bit for having Mazepin join in the first place. And I want to talk about Mazepin real quick. So he's at best a mediocre driver. He's his dad has bought every seat he's ever had and his best finishes. I'll just go through his most recent history. So Formula three uh, European championship got 10th next year. GP three series with art. He got second. So that's probably his best year to date. Um, 2019. He uh, um, in F2, he got 18th. Uh, 2019 also in the F3 Asian championship. He got third, but F3 Asia is kind of a mixed bag of, of people. Um, 2020 in F2, I think is probably his best year driving wise. He got fifth, but during that year, I remember a few things happening. Um, actually, going back to his F3 days, he punched a driver, full on attacked him in the in the paddock for blocking him in practice, who then he became his teammate of. <laughs> it was Callum Ilott, for you guys that don't know. Um, and after they'd broken him up, he went back to attack him. So then moving on to uh, F2, uh, I'll never forget this because I thought, our poor little Yuki was going to get murdered that day. They were in spa and Yuki was 
basically passing Mazepin down the straight. And Mazepin thought it a good idea to just weave wildly and almost run Yuki into a wall. He then got a five-second penalty and got second in that race, which Yuki won. And like a petulant little child went and kicked his second place placard in front of his car out of the way, which then almost hit Yuki again. So I just, from the start, didn't like this kid. Moving on to right before he joined F1, he uh, came under fire on social media for posting videos of himself whipping his father's Lamborghini Urus SUV in and out of traffic at like 100. And then decided it was a good idea to post a video of himself basically assaulting a girl by putting his hand down the front of her dress and then tagging her in a demeaning way on social media. And Haas pretty much just swept it all under the all under the rug. So that's why I don't feel as bad for Haas in the situation and I've never liked this kid. And then we saw what happened in their first year together at uh, Haas with Mick Schumacher when they had their run-ins and you know, who's getting favored and all of this stuff. But he makes Schumacher pretty much just wiped the floor with him. And this kid just really doesn't deserve to be an F1. Um, and then had a little blunder just yesterday by saying when he was asked about the Russia situation, he said he didn't mix sports and politics. <laughs> and he's just really excited to be testing in Barcelona, et cetera, et cetera. When a uh, no comment. Like, all you have to do is be like, I don't want to talk about it and just move on. How noble of him is all I can say because, you know, how dare my sports get in my politics and vice versa. But I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, but especially that Yuki anecdote that you told me. First of all, Yuki is all of five foot three, maybe pushing it to five foot four. How is this dude getting so close to being hit by multiple things in a similar race week? That's the first thing because... He must be protected at all costs. He's like baby Grogu for me, where he represents a world of potential, and it's just on his teachers to get him there. And yes, in this case, Pierre Gasly is the Mandalorian. But yeah, I mean, it's the biggest thing I can say is there's nobody rushing to his aid in any way, shape, or form. And it was one of the things that, as you were talking, Todd, it made me think of this. So the reason why we had this show initially, indirectly, was Todd had sent a very nice pun that he had received from one of his other, I believe, was this one of your podcasting hosts of the other podcast? No, it wasn't my other podcast. It was just my two longtime friends that have been into F1 that I do some like karting and racing with. Perfect. So anyway, they one of them authored a really good pun that was a catalyst for kind of getting us all together here on a Friday. And then we were kind of going back and forth with similarly Russian-themed puns in our text thread. And if you join up to sign up for our Patreon, maybe in the next five years we'll show you those secret texts. But for now, they will remain between the three of us. And it just struck me because the last time I saw a great Russian pun was, and I go back to this, the Secret Santa video of Formula One 2021, where Nikita Mazepin received some marzipan from somebody as the Secret Santa gift. And that was Esteban Ocon, now that I think about it. And the bitter beer face that that man had let me know that if he can't even accept a great pun based off of his own name, he's probably not a good hang. And as we get older, a lot of us, we don't really want much, but we just want to chill hang whenever we hang out with somebody new. And Nikita Mazepin, you're not a chill hang. So I bid you a good do. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's no there's no real room in the sport, right? There's, there's 20 drivers out there right now. 
potentially we get a couple more teams if if you know some of the the rumors come to life in the next couple of years but you know i think that i can't i can't separate sports and politics you know it being a decent human being is being a decent human being it's not political you know so i i think that you know if if i'm formula 1 this is probably kind of in one way or in in a lot of ways just like you know the the you know the best thing to happen for Haas and the sport and you know not to not to take away from the you know the shitty things that are happening in the world but like the benefit of all of that is that there's an unquestionable reason for making these changes right now yeah i really hope that if gene haas decides to pursue removing your alkali as the title sponsor that the f1 community the fia f1 themselves whatever really try to prop up haas however they can because it's the right thing to do and you know they have a whole slew of driver options. So I don't think you're really losing any, um, any talent or any work on the, from the development side um, that Haas has been working on. They still have Mick Schumacher, who's a great young driver. Um, I think it overall could be a good thing. Like you were getting at Nick. I think too, the other kind of interesting thing that was brought up in the discord, um, which we'll link in the description, Andy, Par from the course cards, a uh, longtime friend of mine who's been a, you know, been in the trading card world, sneakers, like just great guy. Kind of jokingly suggested that that Netflix or Jordan brand should sponsor the Haas car. And honestly, like both of those are spot on incredible ideas, in my opinion. Right. Like I know that it might get a little. Uh, it might get a little interesting considering that Netflix and, and formula one itself have like this massive partnership, but the idea of either of those to me is at first I was kind of like, yeah, that's crazy. haha, <laughs> Funny. And then I was like, damn, Jordan needs to expand his, his racing empire. There's no doubt that he has desires to do that. And Netflix honestly would bring so many more fans to the show from that that oh, I, mean, I think it's a no-brainer almost like how, how do you not, uh, not go down this path to I'm talk sorry, about it Nick, go ahead i was just gonna say i'm gonna one-up you because that's what i do sometimes <laughs> there is a certain documentary that is automotive themed but is not formula one drive to survive that was just released on netflix this week do either of you know what it is i didn't see oh it. the was it the story of bubba wallace it was race yeah. The double entendre that we all never knew we needed, but we got because that's the name of that documentary. Wow. And do you know who Bubba Wallace has recently partnered with in terms of one of his sponsors? Yeah, Jordan Brand. Jordan Brand. So bit of spot on analysis. This is obviously the most fantasy of bookings, but you're telling me that if Jordan Brand brought over Bubba Wallace, not only do we prop up an existing one, uh, in this case, being a Formula One car company, but then we also simultaneously address the biggest frustration with the sport, which is a lack of diversity, by putting not only an American but an African American at that. 
on this, which would then in turn increase and possibly lead to the 33 million new viewers that one of us <laughs> called out in the last episode. I stand by this. I stand by this wholeheartedly. I don't see Jordan Brand. No, he won't. I love that. I love that idea. Like if Jordan Brand made anything F1 related, I am a sucker. Take my money. Um, but I don't see them getting into F1 because they can't like they don't make race boots, right? They can't like turn that into product really yeah. other than slapping a logo on the car. The Netflix one, however, uh, is makes so much sense to me because they can do like a season long advertisement to the to the giant base. I think there's a giant base of F1 fans like we talked about. I think it was. 5 billion views globally last year. And there's, I, I don't know the subscriber count for Netflix, but it's not anywhere near that. Um, why not just slap the logo, a Netflix logo? It's not really a, uh, you know, would you call it a conflict of interest? I don't think so. Right. That's, that's the words I was trying to get out. Thank you. Um, I don't think it would be a conflict of interest other than they're giving them money to, put their logo on the car and then the team runs by it's like, it's doing its own thing. Right. Like, um, because it's not a, any sort of automotive product or anything, they're not going to have any sort of like technological or development type of input into the team. It's just like, Hey, look, there's the net Netflix Haas car. And that makes so much sense to me that I was, I've been thinking about it since yesterday that why not just like, show the rest of the world Netflix is part of F1 even more so than like, you know, the American base that's already picked it up. I mean, Netflix is the reason why our American base is probably as strong as it is. The other thing I really am interested on in terms of a macro perspective is that is the last frontier that all these streaming services have avoided or not really made an effort to. But the minute, let's say, Netflix decides, hey, you know what? The TV contract with ESPN is expiring. Let's just go for it. Let's put that on as programming on our base. And maybe it increases the base service by, let's say, two to three bucks. Because I truly think that is when things are going to get really interesting. When we start seeing leagues get associated with streaming services. And I would say to Todd's point and to Nick's point, the closest relationship we have to that is Netflix versus or Netflix and Formula One right now, because that's almost become a chicken and an egg situation for a lot of people because Netflix was that first gateway drug, if you will, for people's Formula One exposure. And they realize it's not that complicated of a sport if you let the personality shine. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't think that, uh, that it is a conflict of interest, but I think, I think there are a lot of, I say this in the most loving way possible. I think there are a lot of whiners in the pits, in the paddocks, on the grid. And I think that inevitably you would have people then clamoring for more airtime, right? Because one of the unspoken things that happens behind the scenes with, with this whole Netflix Drive to Survive series is Red Bull is seen by tens of millions of people because the brand is on the car the car gets a bunch of time because it's one of the top runners and, you know, and I know that Netflix has done a good job of like mixing it up and dispersing that exposure, but I could see how, you know, look, we, we talked about, you know, teams complaining about millimeters on the back wing 
a couple episodes ago. And I think that personally, I don't think there would be conflict and I think it would work well, but I think eventually you would have people complaining about the exposure level for the team that had the Netflix sponsor on the car. Make a spinoff series and call it Haas to Survive. Yes. <laughs> Boom. I was saying. This we, team Haas we, to Survive. They're selling Sunset. They're selling Tampa. And now Haas to Survive is the next of these spinoffs. So that is hopefully more CSI Miami than Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Joey. I, I, no, seriously, that's a, that's a great point, Nick. I think there's a, just the world of politics that's contained within F1. Um, not mentioning wars, um, the the, but like like you just mentioned, Red Bull and Max, the face of Red Bull, decided to not participate in the last season of Drive to Survive. So why should they get that shine on Netflix? You know what I mean? Yep. Like, granted, they're a front running car, so they're gonna get airtime. But as you also mentioned, they specifically spend a certain race weekend with a certain team and they tell their story from that team's perspective. So they, and that's why we get all the weird like dramatization of like, Oh, you know, we're with McLaren this weekend. They're fighting for P4, which not as many people care about, but Oh, is there beef between the teammates or whatever? But throw that all out the window. I think I just had a million dollar idea. Make a spinoff series focused on Haas. Tell all of their stories. They're all characters. Like Gunter Steiner is the best. He's Michael thing. Scott. Yeah, he is yeah. the best part of Drive to Survive, in my opinion. Fuck, smash my door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the best thing that ever came out of Drive to Survive. So just do that. We are rock stars or we are bankers. Yeah. I mean, I haven't <laughs> used the term wanker in my life ever, but I've used it consistently for the last. 18 months plus. <laughs> yes. No, my favorite part is this dude lives somewhere in North Carolina. And just one day I want to run into him at his local Aldi's and be like, what are you doing here, man? You should be in Monte Carlo. Be, hell, even Paris. You're in bum F North Carolina. Like what's, what's keeping you here? It's not Gene because we know based on the episodes that he loads the minute that Gene calls him because it's just literally watching the human react viscerally to nails on an invisible chalkboard. Anytime he talks to his boss, which some of us have had that reaction when we do talk to our superiors, but my goodness, you just keep going back to that. Well, Gunther, take a bit, take a bit for your mental health, please. I beg you. Yeah. So, Moving forward, it sounds like we should have we should know more next week on not only the Yer Alkali situation, but the legalities around that. And also the aforementioned uh, fate of, yeah, of, I, can't, I was trying to say the Harry Potter's guy, Harry Potter guy's name, but I couldn't. Voldemort. Voldemort's name. <laughs> Yeah. He does kind of look like a young Voldemort. Get him out of here. He does. And he's got a British accent. It's just if you're going to be Russian, be Russian. All right. <laughs> yeah. If it bleeds, it bleeds. Yeah, exactly. Ivan Drago style. Um, I'm sorry. It dies. It dies. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So we don't know officially yet what's going on. It sounds like the Oracle is pretty much on its way out. And when I was looking up articles right before this recording um there's a lot of news sites out there uh and formula one twitter talking about who the next next driver could be for haas which nick you mentioned pietro fittipaldi 
he's their de- development driver, so that's an obvious fit. There's also talk about Nico Hulkenberg, which we love him. He's the journeyman. He'll come back for a race if you need him. I'd love to see Hulk back in in a car. And then there's also talk about Oscar Piastri, who's the F2 champion from last year that kind of in a political way got screwed out of a car because he's super, super talented, dominated F2, should be in a car, but didn't have the backing, didn't have the right relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So those all would be exciting prospects to see in uh, Voldemort's stead. But yeah, that's where we are. Let's end on a fun note. Did any of us see the Alfa Romeo livery? Because I still don't see it. I think that camo is working overtime. Yeah, I think that camo is working overtime because I haven't seen it either. <laughs> I did proclaim on the last podcast that if they ran that livery, that I would buy their kit. I'm going to clarify that, that they have to run it in a race because they did release the kit. And the sweatshirt is $162, not including shipping or tax. There's got to be a $100 bill inside that RFID label. Oh, my God. That's so. Why is F1 clothing so expensive? That That is an awkward conversation to have with the significant other of all of us, I'm sure, where we're like, hey, I like this thing. Oh, yeah. How much is it? X plus 100, because that's usually how Formula One pricing seems to work. Mm. Yep. My wife didn't really bat an eye when I bought the McLaren Danny Rick team kit but i don't also don't think she knew it was 90 dollars for a shirt yeah so yeah uh i'm sure we're all gonna run into that conversation next tuesday when speaking of danny rick the mclaren lego kit will be there and then we will commence on our lego kit building episode where we'll just <laughs> gab like a bunch of gals in a knitting circle except we'll be using lego pieces can't wait looking forward to it <laughs> Uh, I I guess uh, that that's what we'll leave you with. Look forward to that coming soon to an exhaust notes episode in the future. But guys, let them know how they can find you on uh, the other platforms. Road M13 on IG, but here's the rhyming part on Twitter at Rohizi. On IG at T Yeezy, and I have reactivated my Twitter thanks to Nick's peer pressure. It is Hack Jandy Eleven. And you can find me at Nick Engvall on all the platforms. Uh, hit the link in the description and join us on the on the Discord. And uh, hopefully we can continue this conversation in between episodes. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Stay safe, Ukraine.